Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokwu. This week, we'll be talking all about Real Sociedad's history, how they're doing this season, and we'll discuss whether someone other than Barcelona or Real Madrid will win this season's La Liga. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube for immediate access to future episodes. How are you, Etches? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um, pretty good, actually. Some some really exciting stuff uh, coming up on the pod soon. Uh, can't reveal, oh, can't reveal what that is. Top secret. No. Um, yeah, but some, some big stuff coming up in the pod, which will be exciting. Aside from that, uh, the same old usual, really. How, how are you doing? I'm not bad. I want to ask your opinion, actually, on the penalty debate that has been um, going around following last week's um, match between Manchester United and West Brom. So yep. the Bruno Fernandes penalty, where he obviously did his skip on the run-up. Sam Johnson saved the initial penalty, and it was deemed that he came off his line, and the penalty was retaken. Now, I find this a bit odd. or not odd, but I find the rule a bit bizarre because obviously there's not much restriction there on what Bruno can do but then Sam Johnson has come off his line not too much and it is the letter of the law that he can't come off his line and it was right to retake the penalty but do you think it's fair that Bruno Fernandes can do the skip and he can do kind of the, the staggered run up in whatever way he wants but Johnson or any goalkeeper cannot budge before saving the penalty yeah, I think the first problem is the way penalties are taken to begin with. So to anyone listening and to you as well, Dryden, do you remember seeing the videos of those uh, MLS penalties where they take it from the halfway line yeah, bring them and, back. They have, yeah, and they have to run around the keeper? Mate, I'd love to see that. Brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's such entertainment. They're so jokes. And the thing is, right, I think if you have a run-up from 1v1, you should really be bagging. And when they completely flop it, I find it quite funny. Um, so yeah, bring back the MLS star penalties. If you haven't seen it, uh, just type in MLS penalties on YouTube and or MLS penalties from the nineties on YouTube, and it will come up. It's so funny. Well, I think I think now they probably. Swear. I mean, when in the MLS when that happened, the pitches as well were dry. They were poor, and mm. the ball was flying everywhere, bobbling up and like hitting off shins, flying off the bar. Now I just think it would the keeper would be getting lobbed every single time. <laughs> yeah, but not if it's just centre back though. <laughs> yeah. why, Seven... why is Harry Maguire taking penalties? <laughs> that's a good question no but yeah to the Sam Johnson debate yeah it is quite unfair that keepers can't come off their line because there's so many rules set for them yet you know penalties I know they stopped the stop they allow the skip but the actual stop and go yeah, has been banned yeah because yeah, we had this but, debate, you know, with Pogba, we? We had the debate with Pogba and how we did a very staggered run up um, which I always thought was just because everyone in the media seems to hear Pogba but apart from that yeah um, yeah, they, they kind of try to put a stop to players going too far in terms of staggered run-up, but the Bruno Fernandes skip is a means of slowing down the final part of that run-up, which is aimed in this, it has the same aim as a, a very There's staggered... The, the, yeah, agreed, because they're just agreed. trying to see where the goalkeeper's going. And and to be fair, I mean, ironically, Fernandes has missed quite a lot of penalties doing it this season, but, you know, I think Johnson actually tweeted afterwards, um, someone had put about... Um, whether or not it was unfair that goalkeepers had these restrictions. And he said, well, it, at the very least, put the restriction on Fernandes as well. Yeah, um, just, just do just do it like Power League, one step. Yeah, what's, what, one step, what? yeah, Rabona, Rabona's only. <laughs> um, that's what I'll go for anyway. Um, so let's dive straight in, Eches. Why this topic? So I think this season in general has thrown up quite a few surprises. So even looking at the Premier League, we've got Spurs leading the way. Um, which has made me quite depressed yeah, on quite a day-to-day depressed. basis. Um, you know, City 
have looked out of sorts with teams like Villa dispatching Arsenal for fun and you know fan favourite Sheffield United they had overlapping centre backs and we're doing all this sort of stuff are literally struggling now yep. uh, Liverpool have been decimated with injuries yet are still finding ways to win you know um, even though this season has been very different you know some things remain the same Arsenal struggling for form and <laughs> consistency uh, bring back Marouane Shamak and his fantastic head of hair why Shamak? Um, <laughs> I first of all, your he had a, his hairstyle was just mad. He had the spiked up, you know, when you're like seven <laughs> and you find gel for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, was Shamax. His hairstyle was awful. Um, yeah, he wasn't great, but you know, for the bands, bring him back. All oh, right, I thought you were implying he was uh, implying that Arsenal's biggest flop, or we say the last, you know, since the Invincibles. But obviously, other names spring to mind. Obviously, we've got Lord Bentner, who you know, he's a lord for a reason. He's not really a flop, is he? But Ali Adier. And then Francis Jeffers is probably the biggest one. Uh, I think in terms of, it depends what you define as flop. In terms of for money paid, yeah, uh, I would say for money paid, Mustafi's got to be up there. It's £35 million. Pounds, mm. Meant to German international World Cup winner. Yeah, relatively though, Jeff is at that time. It was it 2001, 2002? Yeah, Jeff, Jeff, um, Jeff But you're right. I mean, a flop, you know, if it's if it's a free transfer, like uh, Shamak was, I believe. Um then is it a flop? Because, you know, he comes in, even if he plays a handful of games, there's no risk there. But Yeah, I'd also have to throw in Pepe. Uh, my flatmate really hates Pepe. Mm-hmm. And I, I know he's going to listen to the pods and then he's going to have a go at me saying, oh, why did you not say Nicolas Pepe? He's rubbish. I don't think he's a flop yet. I'll give him time. I think he's very talented, but he could also be creeping on the list if he continues at the rate he's going. There is a res- there's a re- I think you've said something before. There's a resale value with Pepe as well, which you might not have had with Zaha. So I think True. that is, um, you have to consider that, but still, I mean, you're looking at a flop, you've got to do a simple calculation of money spent plus games plus goals. And if that doesn't add up to much, then... <laughs> yeah, then you're, you're a bit in trouble. But um, yeah, going over to Spain, um, you know, it's been quite different there as well. You mm. know, Barca still seem to be hung over from the Messi saga and they lie in 12th, as you recall this episode, albeit with two games in hand. Real Madrid lie in fourth and Atletico in second with surprise leaders, Real Sociedad mm-hmm. top of the tree with 23 points after 10 games. After seeing them top, I kind of thought to myself, you know, I don't know a great deal about the club or how they formed or what's gone well for them this season. So I thought I'd do a deep dive into them. Mm-hmm. It's also worth giving a shout to uh, my flatmate who I mentioned earlier, Chesney, who forced my hand with the pod. Uh, originally, I was going to do a podcast on uh, something uh, which had a lot of Spurs content. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's an Arsenal fan, so he threatened me with eviction. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> right so, okay. Yeah, you yeah. look out for yourself. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my hand was forced a little bit on that one. So, yeah, I settled on uh, Sociedad. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I remember I remember Sociedad playing in the Champions League in the early 2000s, I think it was, mid-2000s. I think they only spent maybe a season in um, in Europe at that time, around the time. I think Deportivo La Coruña were also in Europe and everyone remembers Alaves and their foray in the Europa League and, sorry, the UEFA Cup and they got beat off Liverpool in the final. But, um so it's interesting to see that those clubs aren't, aren't there anymore. And I think Sociedad were in that bracket, but obviously they, they seem to have come back in some form. Um, and also must be aware that uh, Liverpool legend Xabi Alonso was signed from there, Real Sociedad, uh, I think by Rafa Benitez, I assume. So yeah, I think that's the only links I really have or knowledge I have today of, of Sociedad. So interesting to learn more. So Eches, who are Real Sociedad? Yeah, so Real Sociedad's kind of came together back in 1904 when the San Sebastian Recreation Club was created by some students and workers returning from Britain. Uh, Kind of the following year, the San Sebastian Football Club 
was made as a separate branch from the recreation club. Then in 1909, there were complications over registration. So uh, a new club was kind of entered there called Club Silistia den San Sebastian. Mm. Yeah, not bad pronunciation there. <laughs> um, out of confusion from that, Sociedad de Football was then formed in 1909. So you're beginning to see a quick pattern between 1904 and 1909 with multiple names flying around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1910, uh, the Spanish clubs played in two rival cup competitions and Sociedad de Football was entered in the Copa UECF as Vasconia de San Sebastián. So another new name for the club. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, another pattern in a quick five years. In the same year, King Alfonso Thirteenth, who used San Sebastián as his summer capital, gave his club the patronage where it, sub- it subsequently became known as Real Sociedad de Football. So finally, wow. after yeah, after a fair few years, it, it settled on the name we know it as today. Yeah, it's always good, support, good to get support from the king, isn't it, when you're <laughs> building a football club. But it's interesting to see as well that British influence there. I think you're referring to perhaps workers from Spain who went over to Britain and came back, um, or yep. vice versa, but there's still that kind of influence there, which you have at Bilbao, which is interesting to see two Basque clubs um, with that in- influence. Yeah, very much so. So Real Sociedad were one of the founding members of La Liga in 1929, uh, obviously to many people, but if you don't know, they were blue and white and a nicknamed the Royals or the Blue and Whites. Very imaginative uh, second <laughs> yeah. nickname. Uh, they, I find that quite common with like European sides because in England, you don't really call anyone, do you call anyone like, oh, you call people the Blues and stuff, don't you? Yeah, it's, quite common, yeah, it's quite common to use colours because obviously that's the, that's the top of Royals. I mean, we don't really have... Maybe he's in a, they don't really have Red, oh, Reading, Reading, Reading are the Royals, aren't they? Yeah, they are, but there isn't really an affiliation with the actual monarchy. Whereas in actually in Spain, I mean, I don't know if that's just in Spain. You obviously have affiliations between seemingly their historical affiliation between Sociedad and uh, King Alfonso, and then even now, and what has always been the case with Real Madrid and the actual monarchy in Spain. So mm, very true, uh, very true. Maybe that's why. Anyway, Sociedad currently play their football in the Real Arena in San Sebastian, which has a capacity of around 39,000. Their arch rivals are Athletic Bilbao, who are also in the Basque region. Obviously, we know of uh, Bilbao. They have a famous recruitment policy for only selecting players that are native or have ties to the Basque region. Real Sociedad actually once had an even stricter recruitment policy. And in general, top football clubs in Spain place a great importance in developing uh, yeah. their academy to promote players from within and then sell them as a source of revenue. And Sociedad were no exception to that. Until the late 1980s, the club operated on a strict Basque-only recruitment policy. But in order to remain competitive, uh, they abandoned that. Um, but their recruitment network is still heavily focused in the Gipuzkoa region mm. and they have loads of agreements and in place with many clubs and schools and are assisted by the regional governments to help aid their clubs recruitment unlike bilbao bilbao actually look at the whole basque region uh so to specifically focus on that region i mentioned earlier the Gipuzkoa, yeah. uh, which is uh seen not now because of ease restrictions but before that was their only source for talent in the region the club have actually never played an official match without at least one player from that province Stuffed. which is actual madness they filled an entire 11 of Gipuzkoan players for an incredible 295 matches which is equivalent for seven full seasons of games absolutely mad there have only been four occasions when the club have named only one Gipuzkoan in their starting 11 
that's mad and while there have been <laughs> and there's been 596 games where there have been 10 Gipuscoan players named the starting 11 and 598 games where there have been nine included in the starting 11 that was that's up to date from november so that is that's pretty pretty, pretty yeah, solid, I mean, solid facts yeah the stats are absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy I mean, in, the grand, in the grand scheme of things um you can't imagine there's a particularly large pool to to select from um, in that particular region. So the fact that they have solidly picked from that region for so long and have still re- retained some relative success over that time or really retained at least in La Liga is just exceptional. And I mean, as you mentioned, Spanish clubs in general place a great emphasis on developing youth from within. We've seen that clubs with the size of, like, say, Barcelona, obviously this, the Bilbao as well. Um, but it's interesting how the Sociedad and Bilbao, despite having such restrictive recruitment policies, have still managed to retain at that level for so long. I mean, Bilbao have been in Europe. I mean, Sociedad have as well, as we discussed. So it's just, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I can't think of an example across Europe or the world that is akin to that, where not only you have that in place, but you have the team still doing, and the club is still doing pretty well domestically and in Europe. Yeah, I think I think the Germans are quite good with it as well. I think also to highlight as well for, for people listening is the Gipuzkoan region is only home to seven hundred thousand people. That's crazy. So that that is up that's up to date as in I googled that about two hours ago. So that is <laughs> I doubt I doubt it's changed much. I think there's been a few there's been, there's been a few babies born, but I don't think it's gonna change too much. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the relaxed recruitment policy that Bilbao, not Bilbao, sorry, Sociedad have in place hasn't stopped them from producing some top talent over the years where players like Xabi Alonso, formerly of Liverpool that you mentioned earlier, coming yep. through their ranks, Alvaro Adriozola, who is now mm. at Real Madrid and who was on loan at Bayern last season. Uh, oh. Yeah, he originally moved to Madrid for 30 million euros. Uh, Inigo Martinez, who plays the fifth rivals Bilbao, moved in 2018 to 32 million. You got Azia Aliramendi, who is now back at Sociedad after a brief stint at Real Madrid. He was signed by Madrid for over £30 million. And also one to know is Antoine Griezmann. Mm, that's interesting. So, so he was selected at youth level by Sociedad, despite having no ties to the Basque region or specifically the Gipuzkoa region, but was seen at a random football event and was, uh, you know, he was touted as a very key signing for them to make. And they they brought him in at youth level. And obviously he was moved on to Atletico Madrid for about 24 million pounds. So that's a really good way to mention how we've got, you know, three or four players that were from the region, you know, Sociedad or for, uh, Gipuzkoan or from that province through and through. And then you've got someone like Antoine Griezmann, which is showing the new way the rules work, where yeah. they're willing yeah. to ease it for exceptional talents like him. Yeah, you'd probably think that going forwards, especially even with Bilbao, that they would relax if it became detrimental at all. It doesn't seem to have been detrimental at all to have that policy in place. But, you know, as football has moved on and um, most nations and most clubs do import from overseas. So you'd imagine it would you know, relax over time. It's also interesting to think of like someone like Griezmann come into that. Um, and I think he's got ties to the Basque region anyway. So maybe this is not the case, but he, you know, he's going through a youth system and growing up, you know, in, <laughs> people who are, you know, from that region, it might be quite, it must have been quite difficult. It could have been quite difficult with not the same sort of level of ties that they might have had. Um, yeah, he, he originally yeah. lodged with the French scout when he, when he first moved over. Mm. And yeah, it definitely would have been quite difficult for him. Uh, you know, the players I mentioned before uh, from the Basque region, or as I said, specifically could be from the Gipuzkoan region. And he's coming from yep. France, you know, with no uh, ties there, which could be quite difficult. 
Um, so yeah, it would be very, very tough compared to maybe a club like Arsenal, where two guys have come from Barca at youth level, and you've got a guy from Germany and a guy from Switzerland and a guy from Romania and a guy from you know, it's it's more of a yeah multicultural environment. Yeah. Mm. So just moving on to matters um with the first team, who is the manager currently at Real Sociedad? Yes, in the present day they're managed by former academy coach Emmanuel Alguacil. Mm. He himself played for the club as a right-back before having stints at Villarreal, Jan, Cartenega and Burgos. Once mm. he retired in 2011, he returned to Sociedad being appointed manager of the youth setup. Two years later, he was named as uh, one of the other coaches uh, of the reserve team, uh, Asia Santana's assistant. He was also in charge of the main squad with Santana in November 2014 after... Arsat, who was another coach there, was dismissed. Yep. When when the king himself, David Moyes, arrived <laughs> in 2014, Emmanuel was included in the first team staff, but he was appointed manager of the B-side later that month. In 2018, uh, they fired another manager and he was at the helm until the end of that season. But he returned to the reserves as a guy called Azia Gartano took over the role as first team coach. But when he was dismissed following a poor sequence <laughs> of results, yeah. uh, Emmanuel became first team coach. He did quite well. And at the end of the 2019, sorry, at the start of the 2019 2020 campaign, he was given a one year contract extension. So there he was, and that's how his role within the club changed and morphed very quickly over the years, and now he's at the helm. At the end of that 2019-2020 season, Sociedad came sixth in the league, which granted them qualification for the Europa League. And more importantly, they finished ahead of bitter rivals Bilbao, mm. who came 11th. They also reached the Copa del Rey final, where they're set to play Bilbao in April 2021, as a 2020 final was postponed oh, due wow. to COVID. Yeah, you know what's mad about this, right? So when I first read it, as a postponed due to COVID, apparently it's an agreement by both of the clubs to postpone it because they wanted fans there. So it was kind of seen as, yeah, there was COVID involved, but the, you know they kind of wanted it played with so, their so fans present. So they've postponed it to April 2021. So is the Copa del Rey actually going ahead this season or have they just put the final back by a year? Or are they playing yeah. two finals? <laughs> yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe the Copa del Rey is still going on this year. So, so they're going to have two finals in the year? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> That's I'm, mad. I'm, pre- I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the Copa del Rey is like still going on. Um, actually, yeah. It, yeah, it is definitely. Is. It is. It is definitely. It definitely is. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to have two finals. I assume. Yeah, they must do because I know for sure. Yeah, they're basically postponed to 2020. So yeah, you have two finals, mate. <laughs> yeah, fair. two both teams in the same final. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know when the 2021 final is now going to be. I just know that the 2020 final is going to be played in April. Maybe that's why it's in April, because yeah. uh, they, they they need it before the actual final final, which would be in May, um, or I assume May, because that's similar to the FA Cup. But yeah, the Copa del Rey, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, so when I, yeah, think about that, actually. Yeah, two finals in one year. Yeah, so. Out of that brief history of Real Sociedad, Eches, I, I believe you failed to mention club legend Chris Corman. Um, and his stint between July 2007 and January 2008. I say club legend, based on that brief stint, I think you can see that that wasn't overly successful. That <laughs> was when they were in the um, in the Segunda League, the second division. Yeah. Football. But he was recommended by, I was doing a bit, as you can tell, I've been doing a bit of research on my own. He was recommended by John Toshak, who actually spent, um, had three stints as Sociedad manager over his times, um, winning the Copa del Rey, actually, in one of those, in one of those spells. Um, 
And also, if anyone has any spare time, and this time would have to be incredibly spare, very spare, I'd recommend checking out the list list of John Toshak's managerial career. It spans about 30 clubs. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see how Toshak's had some influence there. Brought in Coleman, who didn't do too well, and then um, Moyes as well came in, and we saw what happened there. Do you know who will have some spare time in their hands? Phil and his dog, mate. Phil and his dog. Well, <laughs> if you're listening, Phil. <laughs> Um, yeah, so now the Copa del Rey final was suspended. You know, the, the top scorer in the league for them last season was William Jose, who was linked to the move to Spurs. People remember when Harry Kane picked up an injury and yeah, half yeah. the country was in mourning because they were worried about the Euros. Uh, the talented <laughs> Alexander Isaac uh, was top scorer in all comps with 16. He was also the top scorer in the Copa del Rey with seven to his name. Yeah, Isaac was at Borussia Dortmund, um, interestingly. I mean, they obviously love bringing through young talent. And um, we've seen that with obviously Bellingham being there, Sancho, Haaland. And it's interesting to see Isaac didn't uh, meet, the, meet the cut there, basically, unless that was because Haaland was coming in, had to ship someone out. But he's done seemingly quite well at Sociedad. So. Yeah, he's still very young. He's, he's only 21, so he's got a lot of time on his side. So, Eches, what's been key to their success this season? Yeah, I think going into the 2021 season, Sociedad had a stat where they had the most youth prospects from their academy in the first team, which you know is testament to their focus on their academy, even though their rules have slightly relaxed. The specific number was actually 16 players, mm, which yeah. is a ridiculous number. The main challenge of the summer was to re- replace key performer Martin Odegaard, who departed back to parent club Real Madrid. Uh, this wasn't actually planned with uh, Monreal revealing in an interview he was promised he would stay. Um, <laughs> oh, so obviously, yeah, oh. can you imagine? Where's, where's Odengard? Where's, Where where's Martin? Um, yeah, it's like Torreira when he signs for Atleti. I don't know if it's pure speculation. I read it in the press, but apparently he promised that party would stay. And then he obviously didn't. Um, and I think it was actually unbeknown to Simeone and he wanted party to stay. And then obviously Torreira joined anyway. Um, and also Odegaard is only 21, which... Feels mad. I mean, we joined Real, what was he, like 16, 15? But, I mean, he's been around forever, seemingly. Yeah, but Pai was just joining a bigger club, so that's probably... It, it was, yeah. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to replace Odegaard, though, they managed to replace uh, him with a veteran City midfielder, David Silva, mm-hmm. at the 11th hour with uh, with Lazio, who were left fuming, <laughs> as uh, they believed they'd signed the player. Uh, obviously, David Silva joined Sociedad and Lazio went on to say they respected Silva as a player, but no longer as a man. That is, that is, a, <laughs> what, that is a shot. That is a shot it's and a half. It is a shot, but it's so relevant. Like, what is, it's, I don't think Silva's going to lose any sleep. It's not as if like he's, ble- he's now being blocked from a future move. <laughs> In terms of outgoings, Leeds fans will know David Lorente well, who joined them this summer from Sociedad's. Uh, I think this, the success, the success sorry, seems to stand from a solid backline, which has only conceded four goals in 10 games. Wow. Uh, then they have, you know, an array of talented attackers at their disposal to unlock defences. It's kind of hard to pinpoint their main so-called star, but um, Mikel Oyazabal has been seen as a key performer from them. He's a Spanish international top scorer for them in the league and the whole of La Liga with six goals. Yep. He's been heavily linked to City in the past and was also hunted by Bilbao in his youth days. Marco Marino is seen as an underrated star in their ranks. He enjoyed a difficult spell at Newcastle and Borussia Dortmund, but has bounced back fantastically at Sociedad and is now on the international scene as a result for Spain. You know, we mentioned David Silva, of course, with his quality and experience, helping guide a fairly young team. God, what a capture that is. I mean, I know he's an agent player, but I mean, 
He's an exceptional player and it seems to be, I mean, we don't know, but it seems to be, when I watch City this season, I almost seem to think that that's what they're missing, the David Silva link between midfield and attack and I know Bernardo Silva's been injured and Foden seems to be coming in and fitting in that mould, but it can't help, I can't help but kind of draw comparisons between this season and last and the, the key kind of um, the common denominator who's not there is, um, is David Silva. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one. I think that's, that's a pretty, spare, pretty free fair point. Um, other players have helped Sociedad's cause have been La Cabra, aka the GOAT, one of my favorite <laughs> Arsenal players in recent years. Nacho Monreal has added experience for them in defence. That coupled with additional attacking talents like Porto, William Jose, Adnan Yanazai, one of your favourite players, and Alexander <laughs> Isaac. So you can kind of see how their varied attack uh, with a strong defence has led to a team that's currently flourishing. Yeah, I still have um, Yanazai posters on my wall, actually, in my bedroom. Um, but yeah, so he played for Salon for he was on, on loan for a season. Uh, I think it was the season we got relegated, so enough said about that. But he, finally, well, finally, we might be seeing Yanazai come of age. I mean, he was at United, came through so young. He always seems to have that gift and that potential, but perhaps not enough to perhaps make it as a club the size of United. And also for the last you know, so many years, I think he was brought through around this moist time or just after and... That was a very difficult time to come through at United. We saw a number of players not flourish in that time. So hopefully we're seeing Yanazai come of age. Yes, yeah, so to kind of to round things off, you know, Sociedad at the top of the league, it's only 10 games in and a lot of teams around them have games in hand. But is this the season where Barca and Real's hold of the top is broken? You know, it's been a long time since neither Barca or Real won the title. The last time was 2013-2014 when Atleti yep. won it uh, under Simeone. And before that is 2004, That's which is crazy. so long ago when Valencia won it. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that Barca have two games in hand and that could see them shoot up the table. But neither, you know, them or Madrid are particularly set out this season. Uh, and, you know, you would imagine those clubs in particular will eventually make the gap up and yeah. maybe Sociedad will fall away. But one team which I think could break it is Atletico Madrid. So João Felix is a guy I heard loads about, watched him last season for Atletico a few times in the Champions League. He didn't specifically sparkle when I watched him. You know, I don't, I can't, proclaim to watch every single Atleti game yeah. but this season he seems to have turned a corner with that Suarez combination I think he's come more centrally this season from what I've seen and has been a devastating you know it's a devastating effect he's been quite good from the Champions League games I've seen him in as well as a few La Liga games and hopefully they can kind of break the hold that Barca and Roma should have because it's just it's just not fun like it's, you know, <laughs> as as a bookie yeah. in as a bookie in Spain, it's just like a foregone conclusion, nearly, because it's just it's just boring to the same teams win it again and again and again. You know, even Atletico winning it, they're the last team to do it. It'd be nice to see another side kind of uh, contend and break that hole. But who knows? I think I think Real haven't perhaps looked the same since the departure of, of Ronaldo, and I suppose they've came from such a purple patch in terms of trophies. So, I mean, obviously the decade just gone was a, a, a decade of success for, for Real Madrid. And they won, what was it, four out of five Real, uh, Champions League titles um, within, I think it was between like 2014, 2019 or something like that. And that is a significant achievement to make. And you've got players within that ranks and players who are part of that team, such as Modric and Cruz and Marcelo and Benzema and are no longer as young as they used to be. I'm, I do wonder if, if Real Madrid are in that kind of transition period. We saw Bale leave. Obviously, that saga was something they want to get put behind them. Um, but we saw Bill leave, uh, Hazard's come in and perhaps hasn't hit the ground running. So I do wonder if Real are in transition. And then, as you said, I wonder if, if Barca are um, still kind of not over the messy situation. You've got the, the issue with the president um, in, in play there. And I do wonder just generally with Real and Barca, are 
they're coming down, struggling to come to terms now with what could be the the end of the Messi and Ronaldo era for both clubs. And I mean, I know Ronaldo's now left Real, and we're seeing that more. But it could happen at Barcelona now when Messi um, leaves, and you know they have to come through that spell of that fallout of having such a an icon the club then leave. And let's not forget as well, Barcelona over the years, the last five years, have spent. You know, they spent a lot of money on players like Coutinho, Usman Dembele, Griezmann, who haven't necessarily lived up to the, particularly Coutinho, have not lived up to the hype or to the or to the price tag, perhaps more. There's more better way of phrasing that. Yeah, I think your point on Barcelona about the Messi hangover, they've tried to they've tried to hit it and they've tried to adjust it. They spent one billion since 2014, 2015 <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's just gone terribly wrong. And I think the hangover from when he does leave because he's from the academy will be uh, a really protracted out saga. So that's all from us this week. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to HS for doing the research once again on Real Sociedad. Very brilliant insights. Um, don't forget to subscribe with us on all our channels, including Acast, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts and the like, and YouTube as well. So thank you guys. Uh, see you next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers.